What's up, everybody? This is The Grim Feature, and I'm Michelle. And I'm Ron. And welcome to our next episode. Uh, you know, we're, we were within the two-month span we did the last yeah, one. Yeah, I think that we're probably going to end up having to shoot for, like, once every two weeks, just because of the way things have been going. Yeah, we're getting super busy with family stuff, you know. Yeah, we're about to embark upon soccer, Ugh. so... Man, busy. everybody's got a different night that they go do soccer because don't forget between the four kids doing soccer and then game day on Saturdays. Mm, yeah, yeah, we're I, very exciting people, aren't we? <laughs> I think we're gonna have to work a little bit in between as well. I don't know yet. We'll just see how it goes, but um, I think you had fan mail you wanted to talk you know, about. I got two things I want to say, but oh, first, boy. first and foremost, we're gonna start out with the fan mail. And this was not from any family whatsoever. Certainly not my father. It was no. certainly not your father. But, and, and we don't have the, you know, I said I'd read it live on the air, so I lied. I'm going to apologize right off the bat. Um, I'm going to paraphrase. It was just a short, quick text message that just talked about how great we were, um, how I'm kind of the, the pull through for the team. And mm. Michelle kind of you know, comes in clutch every once in a while, but <laughs> he really enjoys listening to me. And um, I just want to say thank you. Uh, I to, think he also praised your honesty and integrity. Don't yes, forget that part. he did indeed. That I, you know, I forgot. I'm glad you brought that up because I, I wouldn't even brought that up. I'd forgotten. Mm. Um, that's the problem. You don't have the fan mail in front of me. I'm gonna do better the next fan mail. I'm gonna have it printed well, out, ready to go. I don't know why, because you're certainly not embellishing the At very all. quick. This was very funny. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, bottom long bottom line. Long story short, the bottom long story. The bottom long story. <laughs> I'm not lying at all. Uh, but uh, we did get. We're, we're going to call him our viewer from West Plains, the West Plains area. I guess we get it. We don't want to give away too much locations because before they realize that he's part of the podcast now, you know, there'll be people will be on his doors, paparazzi. <laughs> you know, it's going to get overwhelming. It's a small you know, dirt road really, there to live on, and I don't want to congest the whole thing. I feel town like you're like really, yeah, I mean, you know, it's true, so. I'm a giver, and I think of other people. So we're going to say. You obviously tell that. You know, the, the scenic river areas of Missouri, we'll let them figure out. You know, I mean, there's some sleuths out there. They could probably figure out where it's at, but anyway. Yeah, but, yeah. I apologize if we so. get any undue attention onto you. But thank you for the fan mail. Uh, actually, he just said that we he really enjoyed it, and he laughed, and we're funny. So I appreciate any kind of praise, you know, but I, so I actually got three things to say. So that was the oh first thing. Okay. So, so thank you for our West Plains area listener. Um, also number two, um, I'm a little disappointed in our East coast listener because I have not gotten any fan mail whatsoever. Um, and I expected yeah. the East coast. I mean, they, they seem to be there all the time. They've always got something to say. There's been some loyalty there. Yeah. But you know, whenever we're saying, Hey, you know, time on in the crickets and, and I don't know. I don't. I don't know what to do about that mm -hmm. because I feel like it's a one-sided story here. Like we're going all out for them, but she's not really giving us input back. Yeah. Again, I don't. I don't really want to participate in being the person that you know chastises our listeners. So oh, I'm not chastising her. I'm not chastising her at all. I mean, we still love her to death. I'm just saying, you know, we're going out every week. You're just hurt, is what you're saying. Yes. You know, okay. I just. I thought that we had a rapport going and, you know, we lightened up her day and I, I crickets and I'm just, 
a little disappointed. Yeah. Second note, though, on that side, same story. Oh, gosh. This is oh. the third point I, I want like to bring I need, up. We need annotations here. I realized I didn't make fun of her at all in our last episode. And I think maybe she's a little hurt because I oh, think maybe she well. thinks we forgot about her. So okay. we're, we need to bring her back in. And that way she knows she's still part of the podcast, much like our West Plains listener, <laughs> West Plains area listener. Um, and maybe she'll say, hey, you know, that, that line, hey, you, thanks for bringing me back in. I was feeling a little left out. I'm so sorry I let you guys down. And I'm going to do my part now to really bump up your reader listener part. So I think that's how it's going to go down. You'll, and Ron is going to be eagerly sitting on the email. Eagerly. I'm sure, just we, waiting we, for some kind of response. We know I don't actually read them. However, if Michelle reads them, as soon as I get forwarded to me, I'm going to be all over them. And to be clear, we've not received any emails. So <laughs> we assume that will be your process. <laughs> right. I don't know. Um, still, I'm not lying. I'm going to send an autograph headshot. I mean, you guys will get responses. Personalized responses. Maybe that's why they're not sending emails. <laughs> well, I don't know. I was like, ugh. <laughs> well, I could probably do without that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm done talking with my ramblingness. Okay. And, um, I'm sure ramblingness is a word. I'm sure. You know, I, I bring the intellectual level of this podcast. I'm glad you're here Way to the that. top. And, you know, um, it won't be long before I think we'll be. If not, I mean, we're already internationally recognized. But I mean... I think it might go to the next level. There might be two countries someone listens to us instead of just one. Maybe. So we still love our French listener. I'm sure he's not listening anymore. But anyway. Anyway. I'm going to milk that out as long as I can. We'll, we'll be on podcast number 942. I'll be like, and shout out to our French listener. I want to make the comment that after we do every single one of these, we stop recording and you go, you know, we've really got to... I think cut down on the rambling and the goofiness here, and then you just you go off, man. So well, hang on. I want to see how we're doing on listeners. I got every 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 episode. I got to look. Eighteen. We have gained three since two weeks ago. Two or weeks whatever. ago, February twenty yeah. third is when we released the other one. Okay. Which got sixteen plays, so that's now near the top of our playlist. <laughs> okay, I'm done talking. I'm gonna start googling and. And checking out your, oh, you know, boy. your, your, as you talk, I, I research. I certainly don't regret anything right now about <laughs> trying to start a podcast with you. So <laughs> not we'll at all. Not at all. Head right in. So um, today I I've got. I guess I'm done talking. Okay. Oh, <laughs> no, well. No, I'm done. Okay. Well, I mean, if you, you want to keep going, I mean. Well, we're already six minutes in. I mean, I'm probably of the 18 listeners we have. 14 of them just already, already turned Somebody's it off. Somebody's like, gosh, will you make him shut up already? Jeez. I bet that's going to be our first fan mail. Can that can that dumb guy quit talking so much? Okay, right. to the story. To I'm the ready. To the story. So, um, today I thought I would tell you about some ghosts that have been spot in the southwest of the U.S. Ooh. Now, um, hang on. Now, you mentioned earlier this isn't another grim feature. It's it's a it's a not so grim feature. So there are some ghosts attached to it. I mean, there are going to be are they like murders, Casper but, the friendly ghost. You know, I think I think of it as a not so grim feature because this is more like folktale of the West. Um, but there's a little bit of history to back it up, and actually, a lot of it is going to come down to the history because it's interesting. So you've mentioned Southwest mm-hmm. United States. I think you said something about Arizona earlier. I did. So, now, is this like the Superstition Mountains? I don't know if you know anything about the Superstition Mountains. It is Phoenix? not. 
Because that's got a whole... I should actually do a podcast on that. Gosh, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> Everybody would be like, there it is. Time for the fan mail. Um, no, but that has got a whole bunch of lore of ghosts, uh, buried treasure, and lots of deaths of people. Like, they get lost. Like, it's just... It's a very confusing area. And it's, it really is... It doesn't look that confusing when looking at the map because it's a small area. And Phoenix is right below there. Like, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but there's lots of tales. And it's just very interesting. But anyway... Yeah. I was just wondering, because you said Southwest, Arizona, I thought, Superstition Mountains. Yeah, it, this is not that, so okay. unfortunately. But I think you're going to like this one, because like I said, um, I, I started reading about the ghosts associated with this, but the history behind it is really interesting. So a lot of it is actually going to be the history, but um, I'm kind of going to button the, um, or sandwich the history between a couple of ghost tales that caught my eye that, that got me interested in this topic. So Sounds good. The first is the tale of the Red Ghost of Arizona. Let's do it. So, in 1883, near Eagle Creek, Arizona, a woman stepped out to fetch water from a nearby spring on her ranch. Now, this was your typical ranch, so the menfolk were off with the um, working the livestock. And this woman was one of two that had been left behind at their cabin with the children to just kind of tend to matters on hand. Um, Now, the woman inside the cabin reported that she began to hear screaming and howling. Mm. Um, Now, obviously, in 1883, her concern was, are we being raided by Indians? Okay. So she looked outside. um, You said Eagle Creek, right? Eagle Creek, Arizona. Um, and what she saw caused her to barricade the door and just hide until the men returned. She told them when they returned, um, first they said she spoke a lot of gibberish and it wasn't until later a coroner was questioning her that she was able to get, they were able to get more clarity out of her. But she said that what caused her to barricade the door was the horror that she saw, which she described as a red beast, tall and ridden by a devil. Now, the men, when they came back and saw this, they found her um, and the kids alone in the cabin. They grabbed their guns and went out to find the other woman who had gone out to the spring. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So you're saying they went out looking for ghosts, but they brought their guns. Well, they didn't know what it was. What good would that do? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I get that you're trying to hark it back to that. But to be fair, they don't know what's going on. They just see this panicking woman and the children in the house. Okay. The other one's missing. That's all they can figure out. So they take their guns. They go out. And uh, found the woman sadly trampled to death by the spring with large hoof prints in the mud. Weird. And like I said, later on when the coroner came to investigate, um, the woman said that what she saw was this red beast. She described it as very tall and ridden by a devil. Okay. Interesting. So she was alive. She was just trampled. No, she was trampled to death. That's why they brought the other woman was trampled. Oh. There were two women. Oh, got you. Okay. I was going to be like, well, how how does she say? Yeah. This is like the um, Hammersmith ghost where they talked about the lady (laughs) that passed out, was never seen again, like to never rise from her coma, but she was telling them how she was grabbed from behind. But, you know, I'm just, look, sometimes people get really chatty in folklore, okay? (laughs) So I don't know what else to tell you. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, Now, weeks before, some nearby miners had reported something similar they said their tent had been destroyed by this um similar creature but they said that they only saw it for a moment before it vanished into the moonlight okay okay more sightings began to be reported first there were tales of this beast that they said people would just see him appear and disappear into thin air um 
there was a, other tales though that were a little more uh, interesting. You know, one was of this beast being seen fighting a grizzly bear, um, killing it, and then eating it. Wow. Um, and even one case where a man said that he had pursued the creature when it jumped across a canyon in a single leap. There was one report of a freighter that was camped for the night when a 30-foot-tall screaming red beast appeared and began knocking over the wagons and caused the mules to flee that they had. Um, it was often noted at the time, though, that the freighter was known to be carrying a haul uh, or hauling a load of whiskey. So maybe this wasn't the most true story, but um, it fit in with the other tales. Now, eventually, a man named Cy, Cy Hamlin, who was a well-respected man in this area, um, it, he had a sighting as well. And he insisted that he knew what this strange creature was. Um, now, before I get too um, far into it, um, if you had heard tales of this red beast um, that left hoof, hoof prints, and you expect somebody to insist upon what this, this creature is, what would you think it would be? Red beast Leaving hooves, hoof prints, yes. In Arizona. Mm-hmm. A kubachabra. What else could it be? Chupacabra? Yeah, that's what I meant to say. Aren't you the Hispanic <laughs> on this episode? <laughs> that's the forklow of my people. I know what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> what I say? How much Spanish do you know again? <laughs> I know lots of words. Lots of words. <laughs> words. <laughs> now I have to string them together. Wow. No, of course not. Mm-hmm. Um, what, did I, what did I say? Chupacabra? You said chupacabra or something no, like that. We'll play it back and post. I think you heard me wrong. Uh, well. Okay, anyway. So um, so what Sai said was that he believed that this animal was a camel. In Arizona. In Arizona. So he also said, though, that he saw a man strapped to this camel's back. And many really kind of dismissed this idea. Um, even though, and it's funny because the story I read about this said, now Sai was a well-respected man, but this was even a bit too far for people to, to really swallow that idea. Although some said, well, maybe it was a camel, but I don't think there was a rider strapped to his back. It was, was probably just the hump of this animal. Hmm. Um, but about 60 miles away, a few weeks later, Prospectors in the Verde Valley found this animal, or they saw this animal, and okay. they agreed this was a camel, and they began to shoot at it. But when they shot at it, it fled and ran away, and they couldn't catch it. As camels do. As camels do. But they said that as they had fired upon it and it ran, something fell off of the animal's back. And so they decided to go and see what this thing was. What do you think fell off of the animal's back? I was just thinking, probably a person. Um, <laughs> that they shot? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, do they say what day they saw this camel? Because no. it might have been hump day. Mike, 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 Mike. Sorry, I'm done. Um, I'm, I'm going to go with the person who was riding a horse. <laughs> so it was not a person. It was smaller than that. No, a child. No. <laughs> Okay, I give up. Uh, <laughs> Thank God. So, the item that they found on the ground was a man's head. They, <laughs> they blew his head off. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, they described it as dried and withered, okay. but with flesh and hair still on it. So, Indians could have decapitated them. I better research what Indians were in that. I mean, it could have been, a, you know, hey, you know, I mean, I, I was never in the Old West. <laughs> However, I've heard some stories. You never know. It okay. could have happened. On their camels that they were known to keep, huh? Well, just ran through the desert on a horse with no name. <laughs> sure, it was a camel. Um, so there was another story about this time, though, of a cowboy who worked for the Inca J Company who later found what was then becoming accepted to be a camel okay. um, near an abandoned corral. And as cowboys are wont to do, uh, he tried to lasso it, which caused it to charge him and knock him and his horse to the ground. And his horse. And his horse. Now, he said, though, that in all of this, this hubbub, because he did survive, um, he reported that he saw on this camel's back what had definitely once been a man, but that the load on the back of this animal was almost gone. So this animal has been around for a while is what he's thinking, or at least long so they're, enough they're that both... this, yeah, this, what, this is obviously a corpse is what he's thinking. So both the, the camel and the man are dead. Well, I don't know about that. It seems pretty corporal. Cor- what is it? Corporal? Cor- corporal? Corporal, I think is the word I'm trying to say. I don't know that word. I can't um, even say Kubachabra. That's what I said. Kubachabra. Kubachupra. You hear it now. Huh? Now I'm lost. Kubachabra. Ch- <laughs> okay. We'll just edit all this out and post. It'll be fun. Oh, but we won't because this is the part that I think makes people laugh. Okay. Um. The- so at least whatever was on this animal's back was almost, you know, um, decomposed away. Okay. So they began to speculate about who the rider of this camel might have been. Um, now some say it must have been someone who was lost in the desert and ran across this camel. You know, it was so faint and weary that was out of desperation. He lashed himself to the animal's back, but since it was a camel, it must have, um, just not needed to drink and he died of thirst before it ever got to a watering hole. Okay. Um, some thought it might have been a miner who owned the camel, um, who is using it as a pack animal and had become lost. Makes um, sense. You know, I mean, there's still, what was Barnum and Bailey? Barnum and Bailey, the circus. I don't know. Look it up. <laughs> you I'm, have the phones. Well, I'm busy living um, up Eagle Creek right now. But. Some said that this might have been someone who had died and was tied onto the animal's back to transport him. It had broken loose. And then some said this might even have been the unlucky result of a prank gone wrong. That maybe somebody had tied this, this poor person onto the back of his camel and set it loose to scare them. And it got away before they could get back, get him back. And he was tied and unable to get loose. That actually makes sense. And, and what, what year was this? This was, let's see, 1883 is when this started. 1871, Ringling Brothers Circus starts. Okay. So maybe an escaped circus animal. We have another theory here. There we go. Um, now, about a decade after the first sighting, so this would have been in the 1890s, um, a rancher named Mizu Hastings saw the animal in his garden and shot it out his window and killed the animal. So the animal was not the, dead. The hoof? Or the, the, the camel. Which was a camel. Which was a camel. But okay. it was a camel with reddish fur. So. Died in circus. Yeah. So. Um, like I'm just going with that now. He reported when he went out to look at it that there was no skeleton, but he could see the marks on the animal's back from where something had been tied onto it for a long period of time and rubbed it raw. Um, 
I just bumped the table. I'm sure that sounded great. Um, but why would a camel even be in the U.S.? Because these aren't exactly native animals. And this is where the history comes in that I want to share with you. Okay. So, Ron, have you ever heard of the Camel Corps? Oh, is it like military? It is. So, because when you say core, you know, my brain started clicking. You're pretty smart. <laughs> I'm pretty smart. Your brain started clicking. <laughs> my brain started clicking, <laughs> as it does. Um, okay, so I'm guessing they were training for desert warfare. Yeah, so uh, I'll uh, let me just, I'll give you the background here. I'm going to tell you how this happened. I just thought of a great camel joke. Okay. What, what do you call it? Two hemp camel. <laughs> okay. Pregnant. Same joke that's in Zootopia. That's the one. Rip it off Disney over here. You're going to get a suit. <laughs> Shh. Thank God we don't have that many listeners. <laughs> I'll worry about that when we're up to you know, 25 again. Maybe. So the history here um, of how camels would have made it into the U.S. So in the 1830s, okay. you know, America, they're tackling this idea of westward expansion. Um, you know, we want to, we got to make our country bigger. That's right. Um, however, they were running into a problem and especially in the Southwestern terrain. And that is this just unhospitable obstacles of deserts, mountains, and large rivers. Um, and part of the problem was of course that, you know, it's hard when you don't have water. Like, what are you going to do? Cause horses need water, mules need water. Everything needs water. And horses were the go-to and are today considered an iconic part of what we think of the when we think of the West. Um, but what if there were a better option? Now, you just held your finger up at me, so... You're, you're never going to believe this. Oh, my. 1857, Congress granted U.S. Secretary of War Jefferson Davis $30,000 to purchase nearly three dozen camels and bring them from Egypt... To the Arizona Territory. Exactly. That's what I'm about to tell you. Oh, I'm so sorry. I just... Quit Googling. I'm telling you these things. I'm getting excited. I'm trying to be part of it. So what if there were a better option? Well, enter U.S. Army Lieutenant George H. Crossman in 1836. And he, along with a friend of his named E.H. Miller, that's all we know about him, um, decided to study this problem and offer um, some solutions. And so they sent the following to Washington in their, um, their report and their suggestion. Uh, they said, for strength and carrying burdens, for patient endurance of labor, and provision of food, water, and rest, and in some respects speed also, the camel and dromedary, dromedary, as the Arabian camel is called, are unrivaled among animals. The ordinary loads for camels are from seven to 900 pounds each. And with these, they wow. can travel from 30 to 40 miles a day for many days in succession. They will go without water and with but limit, I'm sorry, with little food for six to eight days. And it is even said longer. Their feet are alike well suited for traversing gra grassy or sandy plains or rough rocky hills and paths. And they require no shoeing. So, so very versatile animal then. Mm -hmm. Now, as a thought experiment, I just want you to picture with me. Westerns, but with camels. <laughs> yes. Can you imagine John Wayne riding in on his trusty camel to like... <laughs> I cannot, but I can see Clint Eastwood doing that. Oh my, that would be better. But he did like the spaghetti westerns. He feels a little more cultured to me, I guess. You think so? Because... Not, I don't know if cultured is the right word, but I see him being more willing to roll with the punches. Yeah, he he was the first guy 
that made himself the bad guy in his movies. Mm-hmm. Who was the other Western guy who was always the hero? Was it John Wayne? I mean, John Wayne is, yeah. Because Clint Eastwood would want to do a movie with one of them. I don't know if it was John Wayne or not. I have no idea. But he would not because Clint Eastwood wasn't the hero guy. And he had a bad rep for being the bad guy. And that's not the way TV went back then. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Sorry. Digress. You do. But anyway. Um, So, moving right along. uh, Sadly, their report was largely ignored at first. And it wasn't until 1847 when the now major Crossman met with one Major Henry C. Wayne, who was a quartermaster in the Army. And it turns out that um, Major Wayne was sort of a camel enthusiast himself, and he agreed that this could be a great solution to the problem they were having with Western expansion. So they discussed their idea of camels. They submitted another report to the War Department and Congress about... um, this idea of importing camels into the U.S. And this is what got it to Senator Jefferson Davis of Mississippi. And he thought this sounded like a very good solution and really practical. So um, the other thing that was more important, though, about Senator Davis was that he held power to actually make a difference because he was a chairman on the Senate Committee on Military Affairs. (laughs) So after years of unsuccessfully touting this project, David was eventually appointed as a Secretary of War in 1853. So he presented the idea to the then-President Franklin Pierce and Congress, and on March 3rd, 1855, as you found earlier in Google, Congress approved the proposal and earmarked $30,000 for the project. Now, I decided to see with an inflation calculator what this would be now. Um, this would be $902,978.57 Well, as far as military spending goes, that's, that's nothing. nothing, right? They're probably so, like, yeah, take it. Get some camels. So half of this budget was spent initially on outfitting a vessel that could travel to... <laughs> well, so really, the camels would cost fifteen grand. So, but, so what I found was that they, um, the initial batch of camels that they bought, um, they brought someone with enough knowledge that he was able to haggle with people. He ended up um, getting them for about $250 a, a camel when it all worked out. Then their money. Their, yeah. So, so, so they're about out catching camels some for 250 bucks. Yeah. In well, 18, whatever. Yeah. So part, a lot of the expense went into just outfitting this ship with, you know, with a, with appropriate accommodations for camels to make a sea journey. Um, so they outfitted the ship for the expedition, and the U.S. was well on its way to camel ownership. So in 1856, in the end, the Army was the proud owner of 33 camels. So they had purchased over time. Now, there was a whole lot of, of story I would suggest you read into it. I'm gonna I'm marking my notes in our show notes, okay. um, my sources. Um, it's a really interesting. The one from armyhistory.com, I think, was where I got a lot of this. Um so they had two Bactrian, which are the two humped camels. Um, they had 19 Dromedaries, which is the one ha- ha- bleh, one humped camel. 19 Arabian, one Tunis burden, one Arabian calf, and one, and I'm probably going to butcher this, but Tuli or Bugdi camels. And hmm. I apologize to the Arabian nations for how I have butchered those words, and I am so sorry. Um, now, of all the people we offend, I'm sure they're the ones that'll write. Anyway, um, during the voyage back to America, one animal did die, 
um, one male camel. Uh, there were six calves that were born aboard the ship. Um, hmm. Now, only two of those did survive um, the, the journey. Um, so when they landed in America, they had 34 camels total, and the Camel Corps was born. Now, it is important to note the Camel Corps was never the official title of this, but it's what it's come to be known as. It should have been, though. Now, so they took these camels to San Antonio, Texas, initially, um, to, um, to be stationed. Um, in 1857, 41, 41 more camels were added to the herd. Um, now, five of the original camels had died, so this brought the total camel core number up to 70. Oh, so they're doing good. So, now, there was a little bit of a, I guess, a, a hitch in the plan, and that is that in 1857, James Buchanan became president. Um, and so when he took office, he replaced Davis as his secretary of war. Um, Major Wayne, who had also been one of the original proponents of this plan, was transferred back to the quartermaster department after he had been instated as part of this project. So when this happened, two major supporters were removed from this project. So that was kind of a hitch because these have been two of the biggest proponents of this plan in the first place. But the experiment continued um, with the current Secretary of War um, and he decided, you know, let's just see what happens. Now, initially, the camels were, did prove successful, so they required much less water than horses and mules. Um, they were able to fairly easily navigate terrain, and so throughout this, you know, this first endeavor, they basically were scouting out a pathway for a roadway through the West, and um, I'm going to read a few of the quotes from the reports that they sent back on these, and so the first was... Um, or one of the first was, sometimes we forget they are with us. Certainly there was never anything so patient or enduring or so little troublesome as this noble animal. They packed their heavy load of corn, which they never taste a grain, put up with any food offered them without complaint, and are always up with the wagons, and withal so perfectly docile and quiet that they are the admiration of the whole camp. At this time, there's not a man in camp who is not delighted with them. They are better today than when we left Camp Verde with them, especially since our men have learned by experience the best mode of packing them. So they did say in their report they cannibal, the cam, cannibals, the cannibals, <laughs> the camels often ate little. So like you said, they didn't really eat the food that they were packing on them, um, but they were, you know, keeping, they were foraging along the way. They were eating the scrub and little prickly plants that the desert's known for. Um, they could travel 30, um, I put 30 to 20, I think I meant to put 20 to 30 miles per day. Um, and they went up to 8 to 10 days without water. Dang. Um, I actually was funny while I was reading this article. They have a, a, a painting, <clears throat> and the title is something about, like, horses and mules slack their thirst while camels look on with disdain. And you can just see the camels just hanging out in the back. All these horses are, like, just gobbling up water. It was kind of funny. Hmm. Um, but anyway. Um now, in one case, the camels saved lives because their expedition was lost and accidentally traveled into a canyon that they couldn't get out of. Um, so they were pretty much had to turn around and go back, um, but they were without any grass or water in this canyon for over 36 hours. And they said that their expedition's mules were just panicked at this. They, they became frantic. And so a scouting party was sent ahead with the camels to try to find a trail out. And about 20 miles away, they found a river and were able to get the rest of the party to this river, um, which saved, you know, not only the animals, but the people, people attached to this. 
So on October 18th of 1857, the report said an important part of all of our, all of our operations has been acted by the camels. Without the aid of this no, noble and useful brute, many hardships which we have been spared would have fallen to our lot, and our admiration for them has increased day by day as some new hardship endured patiently more fully developed their entire adaptation and usefulness in the exploration of the wilderness. At times, I have thought it impossible they could stand the test to which they have been put, but they seem to have risen equal to every trial and to have come off of every exploration with as much strength as before starting. I have subjected them to trials which no other animal could possibly have endured, and yet I have arrived here not only without the loss of a camel, but they are admitted by those who saw them in Texas to be in as good as condition as when we left San Antonio. I believe at this time I may speak for every man in our party when I say there is not one of them who would not prefer the most indifferent of our camels to four of our best mules. Hmm. So your question may be, then why don't we see more camels in our images of the West? And the Civil War is largely what is to blame for this. So when the Civil War broke out, um, obviously the experiment was put on pause. Um, at one point, actually, Southern rebels did occupy Camp Verde and actually captured several of the camels. Um, and apparently they had an intense dislike of these animals. They said they were stubborn and um, apparently um, were really abusive to them, mistreated them, and even would just kill some of them. And it's funny because some of the things you read, like, they, it seems like that opinion of that they are stubborn and hard to work with is kind of the one that stuck, which is funny to me because... It just kind of seems to me like they were loyal to the people who took care of them, but, hmm. you know, whatever. Um, the remaining camels were transferred to Los Angeles Quartermaster Depot in June of 1861, you know, in an effort to kind of try to get them out of that area. Um, and so the, as the war, you know, as everything continued on, the animals were cared for, but no one was really quite sure what to do with them at this point. Um, you know, they had ideas of maybe we could use them for delivering mail, um, but it just, nothing ever seemed to stick. Um, and eventually the armor, no, ar armor, the army no longer wanted to cover the expense of these animals' care, and so they ordered them to be sold at public auction. And apparently much of their benefit, like I said, had just been largely forgotten. Um, at the time, um, the Secretary of War was Edwin Stanton, and he said, I cannot ascertain that these have ever been so employed as to be of any advantage to the military service, and I do not think that it will be practical to make them useful. Which seems silly to me after all of the praises right. they were singing before. But um, So on February 26th of 1864, the 37 remaining um, camels were sold a public op auction, and it averaged out to about $52 a camel. So so they pay, paid about 250, 250 and lost $200 on each camel. Yep. Um, the surviving camels that have been captured by the rebels were eventually <clears throat> recovered, um, and there were 44 of those. Um, these were sold at a cost of an average of about $31 a camel. Because they were gently used. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so most of these did end up in various private enterprises, such as circus animals, um, running in camel races, um, as pets on ranches, or as pack animals used by miners and prospectors. Um, and so camels became scattered throughout the West um, as far as up to as to um, British Columbia. Um, and, you know, for a time, they were quite a sight to see, and people would really, you know, they were kind of an oddity, and people would come out and see the camels. But... That eventually kind of died down. Um, 
And many of these animals were then just turned loose to wander in the deserts. Um, so they would often be spotted just randomly throughout the West, you know, especially in the southwestern regions, they, in the desert areas. Hmm. Um, now, the last of the original camels, when do you think that the last of the original camels um, that we know of died? Mm, I'd say 65, 1865. Okay, well, they actually, 1934. Wow. Was when the last of the original camels died at the age of 80. Camel was 80 years old? Um, the camel was 80 years old. Um, they, I guess, at a zoo, they said, and you, being from L.A., you can pro you might know more of this. They said it was she was um, a female mm -hmm. camel named Topsy who was being housed at Griffith Park in Los Angeles. No Does that idea. mean anything to you? Nothing. I'm going to okay. Google Griffith Park now. Um, apparently, they said that, um, you know, she basically, she got so um, just laid up with arthritis that they did end up putting her down. So... Um, as you know, for mercy, but she was the final, final camel of this enterprise. So you can see why. Ooh, Griffith Park is adjacent to the LA Zoo. That makes sense. If I'm gonna guess that Topsy was probably so part the, of the zoo. The old Los Angeles Zoo was right there, mm -hmm. and then the new zoo is just kind of right over here. Yeah. So literally, same vicinity, but. So I'm going to guess Topsy was part of the zoo. I'm going to guess you're right. Which makes sense, so. Now, some of what I read was that Topsy um, had been bought to the zoo, like bought and brought to the zoo, and then some reports were that she was one that had been wandering that was found and recovered and brought to the zoo. But um, regardless, 1934. Um, hmm. So uh, that is how the Camel Corps came to be, and went in uh in the u.s and that kind of explains why people weren't like a camel you're crazy why would we ever see a camel around here when when old Cy there was telling people it was a camel um now i've i've told you that tale i'm gonna leave us with one final tale before okay. we wrap up and this one is of a ghost rider on his ghost camel. Okay. This is an actual ghost. And this is the tale of a prospector named Jake. And Jake actually ended up purchasing three of these camels at the public auctions. Um, and despite this reputation that they had for being difficult animals, um, they said that Jake really did care for these animals well and um, came to really, really have an affection for them. Um, so he took his three camels, he began to travel and prospect until one day he did strike gold. Okay. So he loaded down the animals, headed into town to sell the ore. So what do you do after you strike it rich though? Why haven't you sell your ore? Stake your claim. Well, you're gonna stake your claim, but what are you gonna do before you head out of town? Celebrate, spend money. Yeah, so he went to the saloon to celebrate. Yeah, they killed him, didn't they? Um, now, unfortunately, one Paul Adams um, was there as he was getting his drink, figured out what was going on, and decided this would be the perfect opportunity for him to strike it rich. <laughs> um, you know, not not because he was going to go out and, you know, he wasn't thinking to himself, yeah. you know what, Jake did a great thing, and I think I'm just going to embark on this lifestyle of prospector. Um, he, he was being a bit more felonious in his plan. And so he decided to wait until Jake left town and follow him back to his claim. Yeah, as I now, imagine happened quite a bit. Yes. 
Now, uh, Jake was fairly smart, though, because he anticipated that something like this might happen. So he took a different route back to his mine and actually did not go straight to his mine, but set up camp in another, like, false area to throw off people. Unfortunately, Paul Adams snuck into the camp that night and murdered him. Yeah, of course he did. So, um... In this process, though, one of the cam- the camels attempted to protect Jake and attacked Adams. Nice. Um, and apparently gave him a vicious bite in this process and, like, kind of did injure him. But he fired, shot, and killed the camel <sighs> in this process. Um, now, Adams pretty quickly realized that he was not at the mine, so he began to search the area for the real mine. Um, and... One night, and while he was trying to find this, so he he did never actually find the actual uh, mine, but one night it said that the ghosts of Jake riding his loyal camel rode upon his camp and chased him all the way into town. Wow. Um, Out of fear, Paul Adams ran straight to the sheriff's office where he gave a full confession of what he had done. Um, (laughs) And that is where the tale ends. And they say... um, you know, it, it seems that that satisfied Jake. There aren't a lot of tales of, of people seeing him now or not. Um, so people think that he probably got what he wanted out of all of that. But it's enough of a tale that people tell it about him chasing his murderer back into ta- town to the to the sheriff's office. So, Run good on him. So that was a tale of a couple of camel ghosts in the southwest of the U.S. Um, and like I said, when I ran across the article at first, they just said, you know, the... Camel Ghosts of the Southwest. I was like, well, that sounds like it's worth a read. But <laughs> right. um, I really, I think the the history was what got it's me. really that cool. The, the Camel Corps and all of yeah. that. So, because um, I certainly had not realized that that was ever anything that we had tried to I do. I would never dream of a Camel Corps. Yeah, but it makes sense, you know, that you know, especially in this whole idea of westward westward expansion. So, right. You know. And that is the tale. So, what do you think? I enjoyed it. That was very good and very entertaining. And I like the camel ghost. The camel ghosts. Yeah. All right. I find it very interesting that the camels were that loyal. They they would attack. Yeah, so that's why I said they they talk about all these rebels. They just hated these camels so much because they wouldn't work for them and they wouldn't haul things like they wanted them to. And, I mean, I kind of feel like, are, are we sure they weren't just really loyal to... The first the, the people you kidnap them yeah. from, and then when you're jerks to them about everything, they're going to be even more obnoxious. But right. I don't know. I've not personally worked with camels very much. Maybe they are pretty stubborn. I've actually rode a camel on two separate occasions. <laughs> oh. So I'm... You're a very cultured individual. I'm somewhat of, of an expert on camels. Oh, my gosh. Tell me about uh, camel husbandry and and the process of owning camels. Well, and... well, really, what it is is once you're on them, because they got a big basket you sit in, and they go around in a big circle, and you got to buy tickets. Though. Are they tied to a pole in the middle <laughs> and like? And somebody leads them. Actually, it's <laughs> it's fine, but you know what? The, they didn't buck at all, and all the kids had a fun time. Yeah. Alrighty. Well. <laughs> I mean, if you need to know Thank more, you for your input. <laughs> I can tell you more. I'm really glad we had um, your expert testimony here. Thank goodness I was here again. Oh my gosh, you really saved the day so often on this podcast. <laughs> but Anyway, well, thank you for the story. I really oh, enjoyed welcome. it. I'm glad you liked it. Um, well, uh, I think we'll wrap up here. We're 
We're sitting here around what four forty three minutes, so not too shabby. No, a little bit of a longer one today, but. Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, again, you can always send Ron his um, fan mail that he's so eager to get. Eager um, to get. The Grim Feature at gmail.com. Um, we also have that Facebook page. You're welcome to hop on there, give us a like and a follow, message us, um, kind things, hopefully, like, I guess. Or not. That'll give you something to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. I'm not, at this point, I'm not picky. There's a very big difference. Like, I am a ball of anxiety and Ron is not. And so it makes for an interesting, because I'm like, please be nice to us. And Ron's like, please be mean to us. I'd love to make fun of you on here. So <laughs> if that just doesn't sum up our relationship and how we approach things, I don't know what does. So Apparently we get a new listener in San Antonio Yay. and he's a jerk. <laughs> no. Yeah, but the hate mail. Yeah. No, anyway. I'm going to have to edit that, you know, because oh, I'm trying to keep it family friendly. Family friendly. Family friendly. Well, what if I promise not to say anything? This gets the PDG rating, PG 13 rating, though. That might get us a couple more viewers because now we're edgy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think we voice over it where you, like, really robotically go, jerk. Like, <laughs> yeah, jerk. <laughs> you know, that guy's a jerk. <laughs> well, we should probably do that. Um. Anyway, let's end it before we just keep carrying on. I have a way of talking. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Good night. Sometime soon, I'll put in some effort. Bye. Bye.